0: Recorded live Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast where we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. <music> scuba Obsessed episode 121 is recorded live June 28, 2012. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson, and here's some of the articles we're going to have in the news this week, if I can find my link. Here's some of the articles we're going to have in the news this week. Beach is sick, sea rises faster in the east, and then some salvage photos. But before we get started, I'd like to introduce my co-hosts, but this week we're running a little low. Jim Schultz is on the east coast diving, getting some diving in, and also visiting family. And Mac wasn't sure if he's going to be able to make it on time, so this is going to be another solo episode, so... Stay with me a little bit, and we'll try and make it worth your while. And we'll jump right on into the news. So the first article up was posted in USA Today, and it's an article that we get every year. I think it's mandatory requirements so that they need to tell us how bad the swimming water is or what's going on with the beach. But as divers, we're always in the water, so it's good to keep up on this. It, I believe it directly relates to the quality of the water and how we're taking care of the water by, what do I mean by that is how we're treating it. It says, Could your favorite beach make you sick? And they've listed 10 beaches that are having water quality problems last year and wondering if it's going to happen this year. They said, Bacterial contamination from stormwater runoff and sewage helped make 2011 one of the worst years in more than two decades for health related closings and warnings at U.S. beaches. This is according to a major environmental group. The Natural Resources Defense Council annual assessment released this last Wednesday analyzed government data from 3,000 testings along locations nationwide. It found that water quality among America's beaches remained largely stable last year, with 8% of the water sampling Samples violating public health standards, which was pretty close to what it had been the year before. There were 23,481 closings and advisory days in 2011. And that had been the third highest level uh, since they had been recording, and which started in 1990. That represented a 3% drop in 2010. The Great Lakes region had the highest violation rate of beach water standards, 11% of the samples in 2011, while the Mid Atlantic's Dalmarpa region had the lowest with 4% individual states. So the highest violations rates reporting samples were Louisiana, Ohio, and Illinois. Now, and, and that kind of highlights, they said the Great Lakes region had the highest, yet Michigan, which has most the Great Lakes and the most shoreline along the Great Lakes, didn't even show up in the results. So that's telling you a little bit about where this contamination is coming from. So we have Ohio and Illinois, and we like to These are Ohio divers, but a lot of this is the direct result of large population centers not filtering their sewage. And as river divers, we want to have that sewage removed from the water and it'll help make things clean. This is amazing when you consider all the impact we've had from zebra mussels. Zebra mussels are moving and filtering a lot of those contaminants from the water. Uh, So my thought is, and I'm by no means an expert on this, is that the pollutants that we're seeing that are closing beaches are directly coming from those communities where they're being closed or in the close proximity. So what this tells us is that if you have any influence in your local communities, let's not pour stuff down the drains. Let's make sure we're filtering all those pollutants so that way we we don't get that swimmer's itch. And, And not the good swimmer's itch, the itch where you have to go swimming. This is the bad swimmer's itch that we're talking about. Next up is uh, the sea is rising faster on the east coast than the rest of the globe. I kind of thought that water would level other than the tides, but they're saying from Cape Hatteras, North Carolina to just north of Boston, sea levels are rising much faster than they are around the globe. And what that is doing is it's putting a costly coast in danger of flooding, according to a government research report. The U.S. Geological Survey uh, scientists call a 600-mile swath a hot spot for climbing sea levels caused by global warming. The Atlantic Ocean is rising at annual rate three times to four times faster than the global average since 1990. It's just not a faster rate, but a faster pace like a car and a highway jamming on the accelerator, says uh, the study's lead author, Asbury Sandler. Oceanographer at the agency he took sea levels starting in 1950 and noticed a change beginning in 1990 since then sea levels have gone up globally around two inches but Norfolk, Virginia, where officials are scrambling to fight recent flooding the level has jumped by 4.8 inches. The research has shown Philadelphia went up 3.7 inches in New York it was 2.8 inches. Climate changes push up sea levels by melting ice sheets in Greenland and West Africa because warmer water expands. computer miles have long, had projected higher levels along parts of the East Coast because of change in ocean current from global warming, but this is the first study to show that it's already happening. And the study goes on and on and on a little bit uh, further. What would be interesting is if they would do some measurements, and I'm sure they have the capability to do this from satellites, and make sure that you know water could be higher, which you know they're saying with currents. You know that I'm, I i do not know. I mean, I guess that's possible. What I know in the Great Lakes that we've had, and we've covered it a few times on the show, is that the land is actually rising in some spots and lowering in others. And this tilting of the Great Lakes, uh, like Lake Michigan and Lake Huron, has caused part of the lake to get deeper and other parts of the lake to rise up, which is actually what's making it get deeper. The ice from the glacier used to be on part of Michigan and that melting and going away released a lot of weight in the land. So it is now causing that to rise. And when you rise one end, the other end just gets a little bit deeper or, or the water flows down into it. So it makes me think if that's happening in the Great Lakes, then why couldn't that be a possibility what's happening along the East Coast? But they're scientists, so, you know, give them, give them a little bit of money in a, another year and we'll we'll have a different answer. Uh, this next article is uh, kind of in the, the local territory, not exactly scuba diving. The uh, a uh, older sister to the Titanic has been welcome home to Ontario. After nearly five decades away, the 107-year-old SS Kewatin, considered the oldest sister to a Titanic, returned to Port McNichol, Ontario, uh, this last Saturday. And the reason why I brought this up is uh, I grew up around the Kewatin. Uh, if you've been, if you've ever been to the saugatuck Douglas area of West Michigan, they had a, this cruise liner, the SS Kewatin was uh you call it docked but really it was it was grounded it had been pulled into the shore and the the soil and uh, river sediments had built up around it but it was essentially a floating museum a steel hulled uh passenger liner uh it was available you go and take tours on it and it was actually pretty well maintained Uh, i've been out in a few times over the years but after uh 50 years there docked in the douglas side of the river they pulled it out and last year if you remember when we were talking about leaving out of Saugatuck, you could see where they had some uh, tugboats and, and things in the area but uh, they had to do a lot of dredging a significant amount of the money it took to move her was to deal with the dredging from there so glad that she went to a good home uh but i'm also feel a little guilty that i would like to actually have seen her on the bottom of lake michigan uh for scuba diving but uh I guess she's serving a little bit better value as a museum in her home port. This next one is uh, from the English Channel, published in X-Ray magazine. They say a Stone Age settlement was found under the English Channel. Erosion by the floor of the English Channel is uh, revealing the remains of a busy Stone Age settlement from the time when Europe and Britain were still linked by land, according to some a team of archaeologists. An 8,000-year-old settlement, just found off the Isle of Wight is the only underwater mesothic <laughs> uh, site in Britain. You know, I, I would probably really need to figure out how to pronounce these at some point in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, thought to be probably part of a much larger area of occupation yet to be uncovered. It is thought to be probably the much larger area of occupation yet to be uncovered. This is the only site of its kind in the United Kingdom. It's very important because of the period when modern people were blossoming, just coming out of the land the end of the ice age living more like we do today in the valleys and lowlands and this is uh, according to jerry momber director of the hampshire and wright trust for marine archaeology which led to recent excavations told live science in an interview as the climate begins to warm up near the end of the ice age about ten thousand years ago people were moving into northern europe and settling down into many river valleys left behind by melting glaciers so i'm looking forward to uh, seeing some details let me click on the the photo here it's uh, it looks a little bit, I'd have to say, like a low-vis river diving, uh, Lynch. Next up, out of uh, CBS Detroit, we have plans would expand Great Lake Shipwreck Museum. This is from uh, Whitefish. Plans are in the works to expand the Great Lake Shipwreck Museum in Michigan's upper peninsula. The U.S. House and Senate recently approved legislation correcting an error in federal rules regarding expansion and preservation efforts at the museum. The original document was issued in 1998 and referenced an obsolete plan for the property. The Great Lakes Shipwreck Society wants to move an existing building, a motor lifeboat house which currently sits on the private island, to museum grounds and build a replica of the assistant keeper's quarters. The original quarters were believed to have been torn down in 1950. Society hopes to use the building as a reception area for itself, the Michigan Audubon Society, and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, which each shares an owning of the property. the the museum in Whitefish Point in Chippewa County's Whitefish Township, about 35 miles northwest of Sault Ste. Marie. And that does it for the news. Now we do have, I was hoping that uh, Mac would have been here this week, and we'd have had some great photos. So I'm going to rub it in that they missed it. So you're in the chat room, you get the bonus here. Not exactly the greatest article, but the photos with it are interesting. This is a process of salvaging a 16th century shipwreck. Divers go to incredible lengths to recover a 16th-century shipwreck. This is from in uh, June of 1991. Treasure hunters discovered some iron helmets, guns, jars, and cannons about 15 feet underwater in the Bahamas. Archaeologist Corey Malcolm realized that within moments of seeing the area that marine salvagers had come upon an important shipwreck from the European colonization of America. The salvage group from St. John's expeditions usually look to make a profit, willing to give up discovery, a rare move among treasure hunters to allow Malcolm's team to examine the wreck. After more of a decade of research still ongoing, Malcolm's team of divers and conservationists believe the ship is the Santa Clara, an English shailing vessel from around 1564. And what they're doing is they're giving credit to Malcolm and the Mel Fisher Marine Heritage Society Museum, Uh, And they said that because of them, they have an amazing look. And if you click on that article, uh, at the bottom it says read more, and they have photos. Uh, Now, some of the photos aren't the highest quality, but it's the content that's what's in them. If you look at the fourth photo, they're showing some of the uh, archaeology techniques used. Setting up a grid, they're using lines along the grid. Uh, The divers are using hookah rigs. So you can see there's uh, five divers all with uh, hookahs. And it seems to be fairly shallow. I'm going to guess by the depth of it. They didn't say in the article, but it looks to be oh, probably. You know, it's going to be a little bit deceiving, but maybe 15 to 20 feet deep. They're using uh, kind of a siphon dredge, uh, which is fed by a two-inch hose. And they've they've actually made their rig. Uh, I've had some experience using some commercially made made operations, and this one is looks 100% uh, put together with PVC piping and tubing. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how well that works. Uh, they got some nice documentation showing the grid layout of what and uh, to help them map what they found. Uh, they got a lift bag where they're, they're moving some, some objects. Uh, also, they're doing some detailed grid surveys. So if you have any interest in underwater archaeology, this article is more than worth taking a look at. Uh, we'll have them in the show notes on the Scuba Obsessed website. And then we have a video of the week, and I'll warn you in advance that if you actually watch the video, it's gruesome. And I did not, I have not watched the video. Uh, I just really don't have an interest to to see it, but I, I like what we may learn from it. Uh, it's a video of a dro- of a diver being struck by a propeller. Now, the link in the show notes is to an article by the Propeller Guard Information Center, which I believe is an industry group uh, Trying to advocate the use of propeller guards on outboard uh, motors. So if you if you click on the link, you're going to be safe. It's not going to force you to see anything bloody, but uh, you're going to see the pictures of a man, and it's not going to turn out well. Uh, it says D- a diver was struck by a propeller caught on underwater video. This occurred February 13th, 2012. A male Ukrainian tourist and friends were snorkeling off city Sharm Hotel in uh, Sharm El Sheikh egypt which is where uh, dive bunny claire is an area of the red sea known for divers by divers for its crystal clear water a boat came by at a high speed and propeller struck the ukrainian in the head while his friends were filming the dive a 13 and a half minute video about the dive begins and at about three and a half minutes on the dive the diver is struck by the propeller uh, if you want the exact time it's three minutes and 38 seconds of the video the video remains on but is very shaky from uh, the ensuing chaos And what they've done in this article is they're showing everything up to the point of struck, and you don't actually see the striking when you go through the photos. And I, yeah, I think they did crop a few, so they're it's kind of hard to tell. uh, But they have, uh, you know, it's it's almost kind of like Jaws in in a little bit. You they the whoever got the video, it's actually amazing. They've got a panoramic view, and you can see the boat moving towards the, uh, they say diver, but it's actually a snorkeler, and the snorkeler seems to be unaware of the boat. Now, I have no idea, you know, are these single frames, are they happening that quick or not? Uh, But you can actually, in a couple of the shots, see the cavitation around the blades on the propeller. Uh, Then when he gets struck, the force is so great it turns uh, the snorkeler around, and then that's where the photos stop. Uh, when they described some of what goes on in the video, they said that the uh, some people are making comments that the oh in in Lynch in the chat rooms must have actually watched the video. He says the video is uh, to quote him pretty damn nasty, tons of blood in the water, and I would think so. Yeah, uh, you know, my my grandfather opened uh, owned marinas, and that was one of the worst things he you know he ever had to deal with. It was it's not uncommon for people to get hit by propeller boats. He used to have the photo in the top desk of his drawer in his office. And whenever anybody was messing around, either taking a risk in where they were swimming or horsing around the boat, he would bring them in and he would show them the photo. Uh, he would not look at the photo himself. He would actually hold the photo up to where he couldn't see it to show whoever it was. But uh, as it was described, um, it, it was a fatality. And even slice marks, like a surgeon had done it from the back of somebody's head all the way down to their uh, buttocks region, Neat, even slices. So we need to be careful operating boats and being in the water around boats. And I have to say sometimes when I'm doing some boat dives, you, you kind of get a little nervous and some of the dives we've done where you've got you know, it's kind of a modified drift dive where you have people coming up a different time, that boat's motoring around. You know, that's that's when you when I come up, you know, in very low viz, you're putting your hand up over your head making sure you don't come up because there's nothing worse. I mean, Being hit by a boat's bad, but then being hit by your own boat, I mean, that's kind of like running over yourself. So very tragic. Uh, uh, We'll have links in the show notes. And they're actually, if you happen to know any more information about this, what they're trying to do is they're, this organization's trying to identify the victims. Uh, They're looking for any uh, copies of the news clippings. And I have to look, I want to say we had, we may have covered this earlier in the year. I'll have to look back through the show notes and see if I can find it. So uh, definitely a tragedy. It's the time of year, Uh, you know, Mac's been out doing some uh, PR for the dive club and educating people that, you know, they're not, (laughs) the the dive buoys are not for slaloming. Uh, Don't pull them up, pull a diver in, and and let's also not run over them. I'm I'm interested. I'm from this website, and that's probably the purpose of it, to get people to uh, spend extra money on propeller guards. But looking at some of the options, they have some interesting motors, and some of them are claiming to be just as efficient or a little more efficient than exposed props. So uh, something that you know, I, I'm interested in looking into. So that does it for scuba in the news for this week. And, uh, well, I almost almost forgot. Here's, uh, I guess it's not news, but some potential new scuba gear. And this, this diving suit has not been tested. So if you're interested, you know, who knows, you might be able to uh, talk them into testing and you be the guinea pig. It is an 838-pound diving suit. And the, the article I have is uh, talking about it being cosplay, which for those who don't know is if you're into dressing up, um, I'm, I guess, you know, look, look it up on the Internet, and they'll, they'll explain to you a little bit more what that is. But uh, it's an actual diving suit that was created from by the French brothers Alphonse and Theodore Carmeliganoi. I'm going to guess since it's French, I did not pronounce it correctly either. Undersea Explorer's outfit. It was uh, so experimental and unwieldy that only a single model was ever built and it was never tested. The suit consists of two pieces at the middle device is made to connect the two parts together also kind of lifting lifting construction is made which the suit could be lifted in and out of the water. This made uh, the suit very heavy. total weight is approximately three hundred and eighty kilograms. The most recognizable part of the suit is the headpiece. There are twenty ports of which one is able to be unscrewed now I'm not sure why oh, wait, this was made to give the diver inside some fresh air while the suit was being bolted together. Uh, that would make sense. So they, they had the, uh, the port unscrewed, uh, it gets a little fresh air, and then very last minute they plug them up, hopefully not with a cork. So if you, you're interested in seeing that or trying it out, go on, it looks a little bit like a uh, robot from a sci-fi movie. And, and uh, the, kind of the point of the article, they're saying it looked like uh, the uh, bouncer variety of Big Daddies from uh, the Bioshock game. So if you're not into uh, suits but maybe a little bit more into boats, this next article or snippet might be more to your liking. And this is the first I'd heard of it, and I'm going to say I'm a little bit skeptical that this will see the light of day. I hope it does. It is called the Sea Orbiter, uh, Construction to Start on the Renewably Fueled Research Vessel. They're saying that, as soon as my webpage comes back, After 12 years of finalizing details and gathering institutional support for his deeply ambitious ocean-going research vessel, Jacques Roger has announced that the construction of the Sea Orbiter is slated to begin in October. Currently the center of attention for France Expo 2012 in uh, South Korea. The vessel is a $43 million vessel, which will also be the world's tall ship at 58 meters. 58 meters and that's that's tall that's above the surface from what i understand and they show some amazing photos of it in the article says half of it will be submerged underwater law scientists to conduct closer search so i don't know if half of the 58 is submerged um ariel foosh told the bbc that all technical issues are resolved all the modeling is done finally after 12 long years we will see the architect's concept built and hopefully drifting the ocean currents as soon as next year. Fouche explained that the science community will be the first to have access to the vessel so they can suspend so they can spend extended periods underwater. This will allow them to observe and undertake research missions missions like marine biology, oceanography, and climate issues. He says he's he was inspired by explorers and researchers such as Jacques Cousteau. Sylvia Earle, and the project has received significant support from NASA community, including Dan Goldbin, an astronaut, Jean-Luc, uh, that's not Picard, uh, Criterion. It's going to be using wind, solar, and wave energy to power the vessel. The Scuba orbiter team is working with researchers from the European Defense Space Systems conglomerate to create a biofuel that will produce most of its energy. You know, I-, I hope this works because I miss not having a show on TV like the undersea world of Jacques Cousteau which is what originally got me interested in water and scuba diving. This would be an amazing platform if they're able to do it. I mean, the Jacques Cousteau would have loved to have had something on the scale of this vessel. Um, what, what I'm concerned about is just it has so many promises of what it's going to be able to do. If they can do it, it's going to be amazing. But sometimes you, you wonder if they almost shoot too far. So we'll see. I'm also kind of skeptical when you have an effort that was probably a lot of fundraising and they make a big deal on a very short term but not immediate term of when it's going to start being built. That's making me think that uh, they're still looking for money. So uh, they didn't they didn't see anything outright asking for money in the article. Uh, there's also a video on MSNBC if you want to look it up. But absolutely love to see one of those. I'd love to see like, maybe a smaller version in the Great Lakes. I think there's a lot we can learn about the Great Lakes as well. So that really does do it for the news. A uh, little follow-up from a few weeks ago, we were doing some pitch for Rich from Divers Incorporated. He needed 250 votes to qualify for the finals in a grant he was he's hoping to receive. Uh, we had, uh, through the Facebook site, asked everybody to go ahead and vote. And Rich did, uh, just before last week's show, reach 250 votes. And I said, anybody who voted, let me know and we'd give a shout-out. I know quite a few on, the, on our fa- Facebook page. Uh, fans and uh, many of the regulars in the chat room had voted, but Scuba Jack uh, was one who had actually sent us an e- email. He said, "Hey guys, I voted for Rich. I love the show. When you guys di- uh, when do you- when you guys dive the Cooper River, what dive shop are you diving with next time? You are in a Charleston. Try Charleston Scuba. They are the best. So uh, we'll have to. You know, I'm going to be going there again this fall, which probably is why he mentioned it." Uh, we'll have to check them out. I'm not sure which local dive shop we're using. We're using Captain Tom is a charter operator. It's it's one that uh, Rich Sinwick of DiverSync has used many, many times. Captain Tom is great. If you're going to go there and you want to do some real river diving, Captain Tom is the one that you want to connect with. Uh, he knows how to get you on the spots where there are the shark teeth. I'm still looking for the huge ones, but I'm, I'm saying for only uh, doing one weekend of diving, Uh, I've been pretty lucky. So we're going to be going back this fall, looking forward to it, and uh, we'll have to take a look and see what Charleston scuba. So I'm not sure. I know that uh, Captain Tom's got some interest in a shop, so I don't know where he actually, because he filled our tanks for us. So that's one of the great things by having a charter is that, you know, we brought enough air, and uh, I want to say we went to lunch God, I'm trying – it's it's all – well, I'll have to go and re-listen to the episode. And then uh, for those of you in the uh, chat room, just waved to Dave. He just got on, but he, he's uh, calling in via phone. But uh, we had a uh, great time there. So uh, thank you, Scuba Jack, for voting for Rich on the Divers Incorporated. And uh, we'll have to be there. And, and Dave will be there this, this fall in uh, Soul Rich and a few other lucky people who – signed up and uh, paid their fees and are going to be able to get some great river diving in. As always, you can find past episodes of the show on our website, scubaobsess.com. Also on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed, and also on Twitter at scuba obsessed. I'm also doing some testing on a mobile app, so I'm interested to see if any of our listeners are interested in a mobile app. Do you see that adding any value? Uh, I did some playing around with uh, some code. I have a prototype. If you want to do some testing, let me know. I'll send you a link. I don't have it set up as a native app, even though I've got the code. Uh so I'm just, just trying to decide. It's a it's an outlay of money that I have to do to make this app go. You know, Apple likes to make you jump to the hoops, but the app would be on Apple, uh, Android, and uh, Windows Phone 7. And I'm assuming that when 8 comes out, it'll also be available on 8. And then also we have a mo- uh, mobile browser friendly. The current website... Is friendly for the mobile browser. I need to do some tuning, but I haven't done that yet. So uh, email me at the show and say, hey, I want to try out uh, the website on mobile. And then l- let me know what you think. Also, I'm tr- interested, what would you like to have on the app? Um, right now I've got uh, you know, all the past episodes, all the news feeds, the post for the show, also the scoop at news feeds. But I do have to spend month, um, monthly money on the app. They have an option where we can try and recover it with ads, but I don't think I'm going to go the, the ad route, at least the ads through the, the company doing the mobile app because, quite frankly, it's annoying. So what I, I think we'll do is we'll, if we do it, we'll give the app away for free, and then we'll probably do a little bit more pushing for some uh, financial donations from listeners or just buy a bunch of uh, scuba-obsessed paraphernalia, bling-bling, swag, what have you, with scuba-obsessed on it. I'm, I am still working I actively working on it every week, but, you know, between diving and yard work, I haven't been able to get to it. But we'll be having some. Uh, I've pulled the tank stickers off. I heard that those weren't working well. So what we're actually going to do is do bumper stickers. And so you'll have uh, three tank stickers on what is a bumper sticker uh, size, and you just cut them apart and use them as tank stickers. And maybe someday I'll get fancy and we'll get some die cut or something like that. But uh, let me know what you want. We also had some requests for some T-shirts. So, you know, it's it's kind of like deja vu. The, my life is a younger professions. Uh, I did T-shirts. So maybe that's why I just haven't gotten into the, the whole T-shirt route so much. You, you kind of get burned out young and you don't want to get back into it. So enough of the plugs. Uh, we'll talk about last week's dives. Uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, uh, Jim is on the East Coast hopefully doing some diving, and then Mac is unavailable. I expect to almost see him pop up just as we end the show, uh, but he had something else that he had to do about the same time that we're recording. But uh, some of us did get wet last week. I did not, however, so I'm going to live vicariously through Mac, and since I don't know exactly what he's going to say, I get to make it up. So, And if you want to fact-check me or double-check, you can always visit the Mud Club website at mudclub.scoobobsess.com. And uh, you can see a little bit more of the diving. It's looking like the probably the big diving he did, unless Mac had snuck away and done some that we didn't know about, was the St. Joe River and Niles. And if you remember the last dive we did there, which was in the fall last year, but not nearly as late of the fall as we had normally done, we had some heavy rains in the fall. And we just did not get a chance to get back. And then the spring, which we normally would have gotten back, I, I can't tell you what happened, but we didn't get back into it. But uh, it was a warm, sunny day, he said. Uh, They had toasty water. And you got to remember, Max, uh, his river diving wetsuit is leaking. So when he says it's toasty, it probably actually was. Visibility was five to eight feet, which is pretty good. I'm surprised it wasn't a little bit better, but we are in the springtime and people are fertilizing. Uh, The only thing that's helping us in that aspect is we're not having a lot of rain, so we don't have the uh, storm sewers flowing into the river. Uh, but you do have the sun and the algae uh, working against you on that. Uh, he, we talked about a box last year, which at the very end of the dive, and I think I was diving with Mac, uh, we determined that it was a looked like an old style pickup truck. He's gone back and verified that it it is indeed an old style pickup truck. Um, he said he uncovered the front and located what appears to be wind vents. I'm gonna I wish he was here so we could ask him what that was. He probed the front but could not detect an engine. so that is somewhere for the next dive. Uh, both times uh, he was exiting to the pier, which meant that he used you know two tanks. He had visitors waiting to see what he had collected and offering the tank things that he didn't want so and then the uh, as always when you visit a website, Make sure you click on the Treasures button on the Mud Club website and see what great stuff that um, Mac and the other Mud Club divers have brought up. Now, one thing I have to say is that they've got, oh, wait, he's been back. There's new photos. <laughs> yes, he's been back. So there's uh, either that or he just waited and, and uh, posted the photo a little bit later. Because last time I looked, there was only f- one photo. So now I've got to drool over the second one. So the first photo, which is which is what I saw, you know, I've personally taken two or three, I call them inkwells, you know, the old type of uh, split fountain pen that was probably used in, uh, you know, all the way up to the, uh, you know, 40s and 50s. You know, before, you know, modern technology and we had the ballpoint pen or felt felt markers, inkwells. And I have found a lot of inkwells and Mac has even found some more inkwells on the site. Uh, we have the proverbial uh, required beer bottles. We've got wine bottles, uh, some uh, cream jars. And there's quite a different variety of age. He's got some uh, some of the same weights that I have found. They almost, I would say, be handmade, but somebody tells me that those little older ones. I, I need to take some of that stuff into a collectible shop, see if they're actually worth anything. And then the second photo, he's actually got some blue glass. Uh, I'm going to say those are weights, but they almost look like they could be coins. I'd be a little jealous if they are. Uh, he's got a tape measure, some frosted glass. So uh, And you know, it's it's an older style cream bottle. I haven't I mean, I've seen pictures of these, but I haven't actually seen one in a while. And it's one of those where it's got kind of a bulb at the top. Kind of looks a little bit like a hutchie, but uh, has a little spot where the, the cream would separate the top, and then you would skim that off. That was probably before they would uh, take the cream themselves. So uh, it looks to be a fairly early milk bottle. And what's amazing is this is a spot where it we've dove so many times that we keep finding stuff. It's just amazing what the... Uh, the same spot with the earth moving and everything exposing of what you'll go out there and see. So excellent. Did a great job finding some bottles. And that brings me to where we talk about dives this next week. I just got a call before the show, uh, Captain Bob telling me that uh, he he wanted to get some diving in this weekend. So Bob, Kurt, myself are definitely going to get some diving. We're probably going to head to Michigan City, Indiana. Uh, we're talking about diving the, uh, the South Bend and then maybe hitting one, I say South Bend? Or is it Muskegon? I'm sorry. I believe it's a Muskegon. I'm I'm getting scatterbrained now. Um, it's a Muskegon. So we're going to go ahead and do that, and then we'll do one other dive. So it may be uh, there's a, a wall there or breakwater that we've talked about many times, wondering what that looks like from underneath. So maybe we'll go ahead and do that, or maybe we'll look up another dive before we get there. You know, we, we Every time we go dive there, we talk about doing a second one someplace else. So Michigan City going to try and get Jim there. Uh, also left a voicemail with Mac, so you know maybe we'll get a couple boats get down there. but we're we're getting that time of year where it is tropical. The water is unbelievable, especially in the south part of the lake. If you have the right waves and you're not getting or wind causing waves and you're not getting a lot of uh, surf action, you can have some okay visibility, but that water, I man, it's a good way to break in if you if you're scared to death, if you live in the in the Great Lakes. And you haven't dove in Lake Michigan because you've heard how cold it is. Then that lake, these Lake Michigan dives, especially out of Michigan City, and even the one out of Chicago, you know, the Material Service barge, those are going to be on the warmer side. So get out there and get wet. We're 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 in it. I'm going to say drought. I'm going to say the D word. We're in a drought in the area. Uh, my my lawn is brown and crispy. So. With that, it means I don't have to mow, so it's just much more time to get out there and go diving. So if you haven't got your gear serviced, get it in, get it serviced, get diving. The summer's running away. I know we're what probably a week in the summer, but we've got that holiday coming up, that 4th of July. It always seems like when you hit that 4th of July, that summer's starting to go to the end. Remember, you're going to have to do uh, all sorts of things. you got some family obligations. Somebody's probably got a birthday or a wedding. You're going to run out of weekends if you don't get them planned. Also, uh, make sure you get your bucket list and make your plans for what you want to do this year, next year, in your lifetime. You certainly must have a top 10 list on your bucket list. Uh, when you get that, go ahead and send it to me and I'll send it to Rich at Diver DiverSync. He's going to do his, uh, maybe his next podcast we want to hear about what your bucket list is and uh, Rich has requested and I think he's going to talk about it soon uh, if not this next week then maybe the, the week following so get some dives planned if you haven't if you're not a scuba diver now's the time to get training and that's, that's why you know, uh, you know Dave isn't in the chat room right now because you guys are wearing him out which is a good thing he needs to make hay when the sun shines and you teach scuba classes when people want to learn so get out there get in the classes it's much more fun with a big group of people Get started. You know, if you're afraid to go by yourself, find a friend. Make a buddy diver at the same time. Get out there and get some diving. And we're just having some beautiful weather. I've, I've had more great days on Lake Michigan this year, I think, than the last two years put together. So we're we're just hitting some great great weather. Bad for farmers. Feel sorry for my farmer friends, but great for scuba diving. Looking forward to seeing what that viz is this weekend. So uh, it's planning on Saturday, but maybe Sunday. We'll just have to see. We're going to get in some some diving so uh thanks to everybody who came into the chat room for this week Uh, next week i hope to have a fuller crew i think jim is also off next week but i expect mac to be back uh also uh, it's about time i i round up some some guests for coming up episodes so we're going to beat the bushes get some guests if you have some somebody you'd like to hear us interview let us know some uh topics you want to hear about don't be afraid to let us know um some jokes go ahead and send us some jokes So, and then as always, remember those five-star reviews, absolutely love those. But without any further ado, we're going to get to that time of the show that uh, many dread, and you you can hit cancel now and, and exit out, and then that way we can talk about you at the end of the show. So here we go. Ole the old diver, and his wife, Lena, lived on a lake in northern Wisconsin. It was very early winter, and the lake had froze over. Ole asked Lena if she would walk to the frozen lake to the general store to get him some smokes. She asked him for some money, but he told her, nah, just put it on our tap. So Lena walked across the lake, got the smokes at the general store, then walked back home across the lake. When she got home, she gave Ole a smokes and asked Oli, you always tell me not to run up the tab at the store, but why didn't you just give me some money? Oli replied, Val, I didn't want to send you out with some money, and I wasn't sure how thick the ice was. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so thank you for listening. For myself, Jim Mack, and the rest of the scuba Obsessed crew, go out there and get wet and dive safe. Recording has been completed. (laughs) Lynch, (laughs) smart.